Traditional psychotherapy and psychedelic-supported therapy are both incredibly intimate processes that require vulnerability and trust between clinician and client. When there's safety in the healing relationship, a deep level of healing is possible. This safety is especially important in working through the significant pain and suffering caused by sexual trauma. Sexual trauma has an extraordinary ability to destroy human well-being and cause long-term psychological distress and illness. Psychedelic-supported psychotherapy is showing tremendous promise as a treatment for PTSD and the other forms of distress that sexual trauma can cause. I personally am so excited about the day when these new therapies will be widely available to people who are desperately longing to recover from sexual trauma. But I think it's also important to note that while psychedelics have the capacity to heal and restore the human spirit, there are some serious risks. The level of vulnerability and trust that this form of therapy invokes can potentially, in some situations, leave patients vulnerable to new instances of sexual abuse and mistreatment. In this episode, I'll be talking to two practitioners about the benefits and risks of using psychedelic therapies to treat sexual trauma. Welcome to Mind Curious, a podcast for those looking to explore the potential of psychedelic compounds. I'm your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Sherry Walling. Please note that this podcast is not a substitute for medical care or legal advice. The perspectives of the guests are theirs alone, and, and they don't represent me, my opinions, or those of our sponsor, Mind Care Health. Before we dive into the promise of psychedelics in treating sexual trauma, I want to talk about a different but related subject, spirituality. Using science and evidence-based therapies can help us recover spiritual parts of ourselves that can be lost when we endure abuse or trauma. Both of my guests today specialize in treating sexual trauma, and both mentioned spirituality as a core part of the conversation my first guest is Laura May Northrup. She's a psychotherapist and educator in California. She also hosts a podcast all about treating sexual trauma with psychedelics, and it's called Inside Eyes, and it is absolutely excellent. Highly recommend. Laura has found that psychedelic ceremonies can offer survivors of sexual trauma an invitation to heal not only their thoughts and emotions, but really their spirit. I've heard you talk about the spiritual components of sexual trauma. Um, do you want to do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I, I think your understanding of what happens when someone is experiencing sexual trauma is really is really nuanced and really adds, I think, a lot to the conversation around what we're doing when we're trying to help people heal. Yeah. So. Well, first I'll say, when I say the word spiritual, I definitely am not referring to any religion. And I know that the, that word can kind of turn people off if they have any kind of religious trauma or if they're, you know, just very not religious and they and they feel like that's not for them. So I I really hold the concept of spirituality as you could be talking about love, you could be talking about your life force, like something that is is actually quite accessible and it doesn't need to be sort of a outside of people's framework of how they think about life. So I'll say that. In terms of how sexual violence is is traumatic in a spiritual way, 
there is something about your life force that is very connected to your sexuality. And when I say sexuality, I don't just mean like, I don't mean that in a really narrow way. I mean, really like your creativity, the part of you that you that connects to desire, to being embodied. And in some ways, it's kind of hard to describe. But the thing I often say is that it really sexual violence crushes the human spirit. And when I say that, I feel like people kind of get it without me having to explain it in a million different sort of <laughs> with a lot of like terms. It's so much more than capacity to have an orgasm or yes. to feel comfortable in a sexual encounter. It's, exactly. it's a deeper, more whole person phenomenon that you're talking about. Exactly. And I think that's why we see so much dissociation and so much disempowerment and, you know, on and on and on about the symptoms of sexual trauma. And, and sexual trauma really creates symptoms on so many different levels and in so many arenas of a person's life. I also think there is something about the experience of kind of having the fabric of your life disintegrate in a moment. So sort of this, this realization, oh, like, but when somebody hasn't experienced a very severe trauma from another person, there may be a sense that and obviously there's a lot of ways that we are wounded and not everybody has this strong, strong sense, but there might be some sense of this, this isn't going to happen to me, or this is a thing that might happen to me, but it's, it's not as sort of lived and embodied and visceral. And then when it does happen, it really forces the survivor to confront the very edges of how far the human psyche can go, like how far cruelty can really go. And I think that is a spiritual experience. The same that experiencing the other side of that, like just how far love can go. It, it is also possible to be traumatized by experiencing, wow, and another human being would do something this horrendous to uh, to another human being. Mm-hmm. So you're, it feels like you're talking around these edge states where we are as humans really challenged to expand or sometimes even have our understanding of what it means to be human and kind of the parameters around our experiences get get shattered. Yes. And I think that you're right that that's that's it's such a spiritual question. It's you know these very questions about sort of existence and the nature of what it means to be human. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that can be a really challenging thing for survivors to just sort of live with is the awareness that even if it never happens to you again, or if it happens to you multiple times, or if you're in some type of dynamic where it's ongoing, which many people experience sexual violence in an ongoing way, just living with the reality that you know that there's this level of violence that that actually really does happen in the world is spiritually significant and, and really painful. And I think it can be very hard in people's healing process, even if they've extracted themselves from the potential like let's say you were in an abusive relationship that was sexually harmful and you left or you were sexually abused as a child and you are no longer a child. Just living with that reality all the time is spiritually a lot. And it can be a lot in terms of trusting that it that you won't have that either that have that happen again or that your life can actually grow and expand and you'll be okay someday. And I think the depth of that is not often the conversation that we're having, at least in my training as a psychologist, right? And obviously, we have to have ways of communicating around suffering. And the ways that we do that are through diagnosis and different criteria and symptoms. And, and I don't want to you know, disparage all of that because I think you know we have to have ways of talking to each other as professionals. So there's value there. But when we're talking about symptom reduction, when we're talking about 
how many times someone experienced a certain phenomenon in their body or a certain kind of emotional reaction, we're not always getting at the depths of what is disrupted when people have experienced sexual trauma. What is it, in your opinion, about psychedelics that seem to enter into that realm in a different way than talk therapy or traditional psychiatry? Yeah. You know, I have so many thoughts about this and I, it's really something that I just wonder a lot about. Um, yeah. I know there's not like one clear, perfect answer. So no pressure for that. <laughs> well, um, there's sort of two things that I think about that I are sort of that I could speak to. And one is that I think people can do this healing work without psychedelics. I, I think you can do very deep altered state work uh, without psychedelics. I also think that the way that we live at this point in time there's a way that our egos are supported so much more than our sort of expansive, letting go, surrendering potential, just as humans, like the potential to do that. Like with psychedelics, you're just forced into doing that. You say, I want to have a psychedelic experience. I want to have a, an altered state experience that's really expansive. And I take the psychedelic and it forces me into that, essentially. You're sort of shifting your cognitive capacity. Prefrontal cortex is not as intentional or action oriented as it may be in your walking around life. And so in a psychedelic state, there are other parts of the brain and the self that are allowed a little more space. Is that yes. kind of and what so, you mean? Yeah. And I think that people can definitely do that without psychedelics. Um, but I just think that, that culturally, there's a lot that prevents us from doing it. And also, if you don't have any experience, if you didn't grow up in a culture where spiritual experiences were normalized, or you might have had non- psychedelic influence spiritual experiences in your religious practice or in, in any kind of practice, then it's really hard to reach that. It's really hard for people to let go. So I think I think all psychedelic experiences open a portal to something that already is a capacity that exists in ourselves, which is the capacity to be connected to what I'm going to call the divine, the spiritual love, you know, this sort of transformative, expansive state. So I think psychedelics provide that. And then another thing I think that they do is that so I'm a somatic psychotherapist and I'm very interested in the body in relationship to trauma. And I I really, I don't think of the body and the mind as separate, but I, I know that in a lot of these sort of conversations, it's like, you know, we're talking about the body as though it, it needs its own separate thing, like he healing wise. But basically there is something that needs to happen on a physical level to heal trauma. I really believe that. And as a somatic therapist, I can say, if somebody doesn't have a frame of reference for surrendering and letting go and letting trauma sequence through their body, it can be very hard to actually just do it. And that is an arena where psychedelics also, in that sort of portal open state, allow people to suddenly they're shaking, suddenly they're moving, suddenly they're doing the physical motions. There are many somatic movements that need to happen to process the trauma. And oftentimes those somatic movements are related to the original moment of the trauma. psychedelic experience tend to suppress the behavioral inhibitions based on our brain's prefrontal cortex. This cognitive dampening enables us to go beyond our cultural and somatic comfort zones. It opens the mind and body to express pieces of the past that we may not be consciously aware of. The space that these psychedelic journeys can provide also lets us discover or recover empathy, imagination, and even sexual desire. 
It's why non-ordinary states, whether achieved through psychedelic therapy or other methods, can be so helpful in treating sexual trauma. Dee Dee Golpa is a psychotherapist and educator in New York who also believes that psychedelics have a huge potential in the treatment of sexual trauma. Their work focuses on integration therapy and more specifically on the use of integration to treat issues around human sexuality. Like Laura, Dee Dee sees the power of psychedelic therapy to change the narrative of trauma by opening up a new perspective on the experience. What about psychedelics do you think holds maybe particular promise for folks impacted by sexual trauma? Well, I think first we can look at the clinical. The MAP study, that's the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies that's doing um, significant work on PTSD and including sexual trauma survivors and has had you know tremendous results with dealing with um, MDMA therapy. We also have really interesting emerging research that seems to suggest that mystical experiences that are occasioned by certain psychedelics create uh, increases in the domain of openness in our personality that are not normally normally only seen over decades of life experience. And we also know that those same psychedelics, psilocybin specifically, can increase creativity and empathy. And to me, as a therapist that deals with sexual trauma, I feel like these substances can really offer people an opportunity to re-narrate their very rigid stories about themselves and their trauma and their lives. I also again, want to just touch on the, like that's all really powerful within the cl- clinical realm. And there's also this quality that can occur in psychedelic experiences that specifically around sexual trauma. And that's like the reconnection to the sacred or the reconnection to something greater than yourself. This idea of being alive in your body and being reintegrated where you may have been dissociated before. You know, I haven't seen those particular things uh, talked about in exactly that way in um, the psychedelic research because sexuality has really not been looked at as a discrete arena in psychedelic research at this point. So I do think that psychedelics can offer this opportunity to regain the ability to be present with pleasure. When you're having a psychedelic experience, you are not thinking about the dishes or, you know, the mundane things of life. You're really alive in that experience. And um, hopefully that experience, I mean, it can be very challenging and those challenging experiences can be incredibly helpful too, but it may also have aspects of real joy and bliss and positive feeling in them. And being able to uh, reconnect with that in your daily life, to be alive and present with pleasure in the world, present with sexual pleasure in your life, that is kind of what makes it worth being alive as a human being, right? We are here to feel, and we're here to feel joy. Have you seen it kind of go the other way? Have you seen um, experiences in your clinical work where people have, you know, engaged in a psychedelic experience and it has either brought to mind trauma that they weren't aware cognitively of having memory of, or of even watching people kind of further dissociate or feel further disconnected from themselves? 
Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. I was actually slightly hesitant to to bring up this topic only because I didn't want to scare listeners into thinking that um, this necessarily would happen. But I have developed uh, an approach to working with survivors of sexual trauma that recover memories of sexual abuse during psychedelic experiences. Um, So I want to be careful in how I talk about this. In the history of psychotherapy, there is dark chapters of therapists suggesting that clients recover memories in various ways. And this is a dangerous and unethical practice. And I have also seen clients come to my practice who say, I have had a lifetime of sexual dysfunction. I've struggled with substance abuse. I have these weird feelings in relationships I can't explain. They have a psychedelic experience. And because of the way certain psychedelics can affect memory, they begin to have flashes or full memories of things from childhood that they did not have access to before. This can be an intensely distressing experience. So for some clients, it's uh, turning on a light bulb, right? They just didn't know what was wrong. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, this is what's wrong. And they have more material to work with. I've also had plenty of clients that come in a state of confusion saying, I actually don't know if this really happened. It's I don't remember it, but this seemed like it could have. And this presents an even trickier situation for therapists. And so, you know, it's not necessarily that the material you see in a psychedelic experience is, is quote unquote real. It can be a concretization of very intense feeling states from childhood. So it could look like sexual abuse in terms of what you see in the visions in the ceremony, but it actually could have been feelings of um, of invasion or emotional abuse that sort of concretize in that way. And my approach with clients across the board is really to work somatically. What is your body saying to you? Okay, so this image is linked with the sensation, but what can we do with your body to help you process the sensation? So the medicine is giving you this image because it, it's giving you an anchor to work with. And now we'll work with that anchor. And the clients that I see who have the best outcomes are the ones that can tolerate not knowing per se and focusing on what am I experiencing in my life right now and how can I make that better? Now, as to your question of further dissociation, you know, psychedelics can, they carry risk, right? So some folks, it can exacerbate mental health issues. It can cause real internal crisis. And I think that, um, really rigorous screening and um, support. That's where the integration piece really comes in. Because for a small number of folks, psychedelics are not a good healing route for them because it can really exacerbate previous mental illness. But people can have really difficult experiences with psychedelics and it has nothing to do with that. It can be um, that they're not prepared to deal with the overwhelming nature of the experience or the overwhelming nature of the trauma that might be unearthed or that the experience itself didn't feel safe to them, which can mirror the experience of trauma and be extremely overwhelming. I think all of those things are situations that a good integration therapist should really be prepared to support a client through. Didi's treatment focuses on what we know to be true, the patient's physical state, the sensations that come up during the psychedelic journey, in fact, is very similar to Laura's perspective on the controversial topic of recovering memories. Laura spoke about the potential damage that recovered memories can cause, especially as it relates to sexual trauma. 
and the need for clinicians to be extraordinarily careful as they support clients in processing thoughts or snapshots about experiences that may have occurred in the past. One of the the things that I think can be somewhat complicated, particularly around stories involving sexual trauma, is that sometimes there's this desire to try to figure out what happened to me. What what's the story? And I've certainly talked with a lot of folks who have had a sense that maybe something wasn't right or there was a feeling of trauma, but without a cognitive memory of what happened. And in some situations, psychedelic work can bring a story to that emotion. Have you observed that? What do you think about that? Yeah. Well, it's a really complicated question because there's so much about sort of like repressed memories and people being against repressed memories. And um, so what I'll say is, uh, yes, that definitely happens. People go in, people go into psychedelic work, not even expecting to uncover that. And they see images of something or they get a sense like, oh, yes, I was sexually abused by my camp counselor or, you know, or whatever. Um, And I think with anything, it, well, and I'll also add, and then there are also people who go in wanting a story and they don't get one. Mm-hmm. Like they go in and they're like, but why, why am I like this? This must make sense. And um, I think we can only be with what we know to be true at any given moment. And so, for example, the person who wants the story, but maybe hasn't gotten it yet, and maybe they do get it or maybe they don't when they do the psychedelic work. With that person, I would say we can just be with what we know is true. And what we know is true is that you're really activated around sex. We know that you are struggling to feel your body. And we know that you're really dissociated a lot. We can just be with, that's not everybody, but let's just say that's one person. So we can just be with that and know that there's something. And it's hard, right? And this is tolerating confusion is tolerating a feeling tolerating uncertainty is a feeling and and i think there's a lot of room even to go into like and what would it mean to know would it mean and i think for a lot of people it's i would feel more validated and i would also feel kind of less disturbed like it's disturbing to not know whether i actually think my family was abusive or not abusive so i think we can do a lot of exploration into like what does it even mean to know and what does it mean to not know and what do we actually know and let's just trust what we know we know what your symptoms are and that's a lot like like we can there's always a lot to work with even if someone doesn't have a memory and then in terms of people who go in and they recover a memory you know with that i think it's just really important to hold both that that could be a very, very true experience. And also that it's important just to, like there are a lot of things that we see in psychedelic spaces that aren't um, necessarily based on truth. And this feels complicated to say because I'm not denying. not literal, maybe? They're not literal, yes. They're not literal. So maybe someone has an experience of my body transformed into a tiger. That You felt that, but it wasn't a, it's sort of an analogy or an allegory. So it can be true and real, but not literal. Yes. Yeah. And so for that reason, I don't say that to minimize the experience or the recovered memory at all, but just to kind of hold it with that. 
how do you feel about this? What would it be if that was true? How is it? And then I think if you're the integration therapist or, you know, whatever the person supporting, that it's really important for us to keep our stuff around that and our bias out of the conversation. I would never tell somebody what you saw wasn't real. I would just help them to be really curious about it. And, and people do also go in and have experiences where they come out and they're like, this is actually what I have already known. And I'm now ready to look at it. So I hope that answers the question. I, I hold it with a lot of complexity. As psychedelic-supported therapies become more mainstream, clinicians and clients will have to be very, very thoughtful about how they talk about and work with session-based content that feels like memory. I hope that this is not a complexity that we run away from, but that we as mental health professionals and physicians, those who are providing care, are willing to thoughtfully and wisely navigate some of these complexities with supervision and proper training. As I mentioned at the beginning of this session, psychedelic-supported psychotherapy also has the potential to increase the risk of sexual or romantic transference. Very simply, that's the situation in which the client falls in love with their clinician or longs to pursue a sexual connection to them. This sometimes shows up in traditional psychotherapy relationships, and it's something that clinicians have a lot of training and ethics that guide their behaviors related to romantic feelings. Psychedelic therapies introduce even a new level of intimacy to the therapeutic relationship, which can lead to complicated feelings, or in some cases, even abuse as the worst case scenario. One of the additional concerns is even the possibility that there is sexual impropriety or confusion in the context of the session. And in training as clinicians, there's lots and lots of conversation around boundaries and complicated, even romantic and sexual feelings back and forth between clinician and client. And so there's a lot of language around the ethics of that. And that doesn't necessarily exist in the sort of underground community or the places where people may go to, you know, meet with a shaman or even meet with a trained therapist, but it gets, it gets a little funky. Mm -hmm. And I think, I guess I, I would just like to, you know, sort of ask about that and, and how you see that potential danger and, and what kinds of recommendations you have for people in terms of avoiding that. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll answer this question in two different ways. So first, I will say that unfortunately, um, there is many instances in unregulated contexts of people uh, experiencing sexual misconduct. And unfortunately, there are some documented cases of this happening in research contexts as well. So, you know, even though there are all these therapeutic boundaries and training, unfortunately, these things have still occurred. So, I think when you're dealing with survivors of sexual trauma, psychedelics can sometimes, for some clients, cause certain acting out behaviors or reenactments of trauma scenarios. Clients can experience intensely erotic feelings towards a therapist or facilitator, and facilitators or therapists need to be extremely well-trained and grounded at how to deal with those erotic projections so they are not causing harm. And that's a really hard thing to do. And it takes a lot of clinical supervision. It takes a lot of support. And it takes a lot of sort of honesty. And then, of course, uh, the more common and more, 
I don't know, sinister is the word coming to mind because, you know, to me, when we violate a vulnerable person, it's, it's such an, it's a real, it's a deep spiritual trauma, right? So I think that, you know, in research settings, the psychedelic guide or facilitator is presumably a sober guide, meaning the therapist is not taking the psychedelic, the just the client is. And that may or may not be true in more unregulated contexts, right? So I think that a lot of honesty and oversight is required for people to know what to do with the power they have when they are facilitating an experience like this for someone. And unfortunately, for a certain number of people, psychedelic use seems to increase their narcissism and perhaps create an even more difficult situation in them seeing the power that they wield over a vulnerable person. So I think, you know, the answers to this are first community accountability. What do we actually do with people who create harm? How do we create venues for them to heal themselves, to make amends, and um, to be removed from the community if necessary, or to be prevented from creating further harm? In clinical arenas, I think we need way more supervision because I'll tell you, like my fundamental training as a therapist was more psychodynamic. And we talked about erotic transference and erotic feelings, but you don't really learn in a, in a structural behavioral way what to do with clients in these intense situations until I was doing sex therapy training because you're literally sitting and talking about sex in a really frank way with clients. Like we need new disciplines to come into psychedelic therapy who know how to deal with these situations because sex therapists get a lot of training on like how to deal with these things. And that's really, really necessary. And I think the last thing is ending illegality because things fester in the dark, right? If we were able to have these ceremonies happening, not in underground contexts, but in community contexts where there was an actual community of people that had accountability to each other, I think you would see far less opportunity for exploitation. I know that not everyone is a fan of the medicalization of psychedelics. Not everyone sees FDA approval as a great thing. But one benefit of the formalization of integrating psychedelics into established therapies is that that involves training and standards and conversations about ethics. When any professional is learning a new therapeutic modality, they are required to have supervision and to have consultation with other clinicians. While these standards and formalities are not perfect and certainly are no 100% guarantee that psychedelic clients won't experience mistreatment, they do provide clinicians with tools and training, guidance, and support. Until such time as those regulations are more formalized, We have to rely on the psychedelic communities, those who are using psychedelics, to self-regulate and prevent abuse sort of within their own local ranks. For more on this, I really do recommend that you check out Laura's podcast, Inside Eyes. She did a whole episode about the sexual complexities and dynamics that can arise in the psychedelic relationship. Why do you think it is important to talk about the complications that can come up in treatment of sexual trauma? 
Yeah, I think it's important for a couple of reasons. One is because people just do a lot of violating things in these spaces. I mean, both non-psychedelic therapists and also psychedelic therapists and psychedelic guides, there's just a lot of reports of sexual violence. And so I felt like I'm really all about complexity. So that's like my one of my big things. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I can't make a podcast series talking about how, you know, all these people are healing and not add also like plenty of people are going to these spaces and, and actually experiencing sexual violence. So that's part of it. And then another piece is that there are definitely people who do, obviously this is in the underground, but do um, psychedelic work that's combined with sexual work. So like sexological body workers and people who do touch work and things like that. And I just think some of that is really powerful and amazing work. And some of it can also include sexual violation. And I just think it's very important for people to understand that if they're going to go into this world that it's you cannot just be all trusting. There, there's sort of this idea with psychedelics, like everybody who's using psychedelics is enlightened. No, they're regular people, just like us. Like everybody's just a regular person. There are amazing clinicians. There are clinicians who probably should get more training. There are clinicians that do not harm their clients. And there are people who definitely do. And it's been well-documented in the world of psychedelics. Do you think that psychedelics adds an another layer of risk or another layer of almost intimacy to a, a treatment relationship? I would say that I fall more on the side of yes. Uh, I think it does. And I think that people are just incredibly vulnerable when they're under the influence of the medicine. And I think that when someone else is incredibly vulnerable, that also creates a corresponding experience of the other person being quite powerful. And if you don't have as the clinician or the guide, if you don't kind of have your unconscious stuff very, very worked through, that is a potentially damaging uh, relationship. And I think that, you know, we're talking about sexual trauma. Obviously, there's many other ways that guides and clinicians can act out their material with a person who's journeying. But I think that just some of that could be, you know, pretty benign, like, oh, I want to feel like I'm extra important around you and I'm a little bit feeding my ego off of this experience. You know, that might not be that damaging to the client, but obviously, you know, raping your client is incredibly damaging and that happens. Maybe this whole episode has scared you away from the idea of a psychedelic-supported therapy for sexual trauma. Maybe the risk of enduring more abuse or mistreatment isn't worth the potential reward of healing. My hope in raising these questions is not to discourage anyone from accessing care that might be helpful to them, but it is to tell the truth about some of the potential risks so that they can be mitigated or minimized. Many of the clinical trials are thinking very carefully about this by working in therapist teams or implementing other standards of practice that help to create safety and trust in the midst of vulnerability, but also keep people really safe. I wanted to finish my conversations with both Didi and Laura by talking about the hope that this treatment can bring to survivors, as well as addressing the fear that comes along with it. Here's Didi. As I guess I'm imagining someone listening to this conversation who is thinking, I've had some rough experiences in my past and psychedelics sound like a really interesting healing opportunity for me. 
the way that Didi talks about it, it sounds so hopeful. There's possibility of re- restoration of pleasure. I could enjoy sex again. Like, it sounds lovely, but also it sounds, it's kind of scary. How do you kind of navigate that conversation with someone? Well, I mean, listen, there's actually multiple layers to the conversation that you're alluding to, because the first thing is, as a licensed therapist, I can't give people referrals. Who's going to get into a research study, right? I mean, people get into research studies, but it's extremely arduous and it's very few people that actually have access to these um, medicines in 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 a clinical context. So you're looking at being really hamstrung as a therapist because you are ethically unable to make referrals to any kind of um, non-clinical context, right? So the first thing is helping clients to decide on their own whether that is for them and helping them to ask the right questions to find out, especially as a trauma survivor, about is this context I'm choosing going to be a safe one for me? So pre-pandemic, I had a lot of people who would leave the country and go to retreat centers in various places, Jamaica, Peru, that can work legally with different medicines. And they are a variable quality. So really helping people to understand and know how to ask what they need to ask about um, whether I'm going to be safe here is a preliminary step to the the question about scary, right? Yes. <laughs> you to, well, like, um, <laughs> you know, it can be scary. And I think what happens in the experience itself is often unpredictable but what we can what we can know is that clients who experience less anxiety generally have more positive experiences going into psychedelic work clients that feel well prepared and feel like the the people that will be there that the set setting and cast who will be there where is it going to happen and what's my mindset going in when those things are aligned and feel positive they have a much better chance of having an experience that's healing for them. So I think validating that it is scary. You are taking a substance that is going to alter your consciousness in some way that might be unpredictable to you, um, acknowledging that that in itself takes a lot of bravery. And if we look through a more animistic or shamanic lens, we want to acknowledge that you're welcoming a non-human presence into your body that may have its own agenda for you its own ideas about healing and what it's going to offer you. And, you know, again, we're talking about that science spirituality piece. Somebody could believe or not believe that to be true. But in the experiences I've had, the sense of being met with um, a sentience that is not human and coming into very intimate contact with you is an experience like nothing else that you've ever had if it's new. So to help clients prepare and develop a sense of curiosity, you know, validating fear and trying to um, transform what's possible into a sense of curiosity, I think is a good approach. And here's Laura. The last thing that I wanted to ask you about is, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is not only kind of healing from PTSD or maybe symptoms related to having had an experience of sexual trauma, but of really restoring that life force. Talk to me about working with folks who you've seen really rebuild or recover or maybe build for the first time a sense of themselves as empowered sexual beings. Yeah. So I think that 
one one thing I always say in interviews is it's a long game. I say this all the time because, you know, people are like, okay, you do three sessions of MDMA with a therapist and then you're totally healed and PTSD symptoms are reduced by 60% or whatever. And I'm sure that happens. But in terms of what you're talking about, it's not just like not being traumatized. It's kind of like, yeah, that reconnection that like my life is fulfilling and I'm interested and I'm curious in myself and I'm engaged with myself and I'm connected to desire and et cetera. So does it make sense to read some books about sexuality? Does it make sense to explore your sexuality with yourself? And if you have a partner or partners, explore it with them in new ways. It's not just like a single incident. It's not like you're going to go to a weekend workshop and be like, okay, desire healed, check. But really putting the time and energy in. And, and I think something that can be kind of hard for people to kind of wrap their minds around in the world that we live in is like the amount of effort you put towards like your job or towards going on a vacation, or towards, like, I don't know, shopping for your groceries, whatever the, the things are in your life that take up a lot of time. If you want to grow a part of your life that has been really stunted or wounded, you kind of have to put a lot of energy in. So like, if you go grocery shopping an hour a week, what would it be like to spend that, you know, a, an hour a week feeding yourself, sustaining yourself around your sexuality? And really like, thinking about it like, here's a project I'm doing for a year. True recovery isn't just about healing from sexual trauma. It's also about regaining empowerment, passion, creativity, spirit. Pursuing psychedelic treatment like this can be risky, but it can also help patients recover their whole self. While the clinical world certainly needs to do more to create both accountability and safety, the hope for a restored life force, as Laura calls it, makes this challenging work worth the complexity. Thank you to Laura and Didi for jumping into these complexities with me and for addressing the many facets of the field. Very grateful for their wisdom and insights. If you want to weigh in or have a story to share, we'd love to hear from you on our social media channels. We are at MindCureHealth on Instagram. You can also contact us directly at MindCure.com. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, stay curious.